0: You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, greetings, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Uh, We're the show where we try to take all of the craziness and ambiguity and wild things going on in the business world, especially in respect to leadership, skill and ability, and break it down into some common sense, sort of bite-sized learning to understand and help you as a leader do more with your people and the teams you have. Today, I've got a gentleman named Dan Freeling. Dan is going to share with us some ideas about career progression and particularly some thoughts on the millennial population. We'll get into that in more detail, but uh, first let me say, Dan, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Doug.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a bit of a custom here, Dan, to uh, ask the guests to give us a little bit of a backstory on how you got to where it is you are today and what inspires you to do the things you're doing now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I've been in the leadership development space, um, for about 10 years now. And part of that experience was in seeing all different types of leadership development interventions. So, you know, from anything from training to even organizational development, working with teams, um, to being able to oversee a coaching program. And I kept finding myself drawn to coaching as a, Um, really effective development intervention and then started to work on um, getting my own coaching training and starting working with clients in that space. So uh, pursued an MBA, uh, master's in organizational leadership, worked in these leadership development projects, and then um, worked with my my own coaching clients. And I've recently gone full into the coaching and I'm excited to be in that space now.
0: Very good. Very good. Well, coming out of that world, you know uh listeners to this show have heard me say this before we we, we have a weird and somewhat i don't know it's mentally wrong <laughs> tradition in the business world we we look out on our shop floors and in our networks and we say we need a a, a leader for this team And we inevitably tap on the shoulder of the person that's our best contributor, uh, Mm -hmm. the highest performer, the smartest engineer, the best sales guy. And we go, poof, you're you're now the supervisor of this team. And thus, by definition, begins a leadership journey. But yet the individual doesn't necessarily know that a lot of times. They're put in that role in a kind of a trial and error, sink or swim, baptism by fire, whatever you want to call it, to go figure it out. And the continued neurotic uh, angle to that is, if if they make it, if they succeed in that entry level manager job, they get promoted. <laughs> <laughs> they get promoted to be manager of something bigger, and 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 so it goes two or three iterations. And then finally, again, the tradition generally leans to the idea that after about that third promotion, you might get qualified to go to a leadership development program. Mm-hmm. Well, duh, kind of late, don't you think? <laughs> <clears throat> so... I, that maybe is leading the witness, but, but what's, uh, what's your experience along that line?
1: No, I think you're, you're spot on with, with all of that. And I think it's really helpful to view career advancement and leadership as two separate but related areas. That's a lot of what um, this book that I wrote is, is on, is this um, idea that it's not just being better at your job as an individual contributor qualifies you to then lead others. It's a, it's a distinct skill set and being able to really strategically decide if you're ready for leadership, if you want to take on leadership. There's nothing wrong with pursuing just expertise and not going into a full leadership role. So I think there's that element of it too, is like, why do you want to be a leader? And how are you um, developing yourself as a leader? And then the other point that you touched on, I think, is also spot on, on um, earlier leadership development interventions um, making a ton of sense so that people can start off with the right habits, with the right frameworks, with really understanding how to go about developing as a leader rather than coming in just at, okay, you're already a leader and we're trying to fix something that's already gone wrong.
0: When when you had a hand at, at helping the companies you worked for with putting these programs together, uh, what were some of the considerations or the uh, maybe... Um, trigger points in who got in the program, who who didn't, uh, you know, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, another great question. So I think I was lucky enough to work in some forward-looking organizations that were really focused on leadership at all levels. And this idea that it's not just executives who are leading, it's it's people all throughout the organization. And even if you're not in explicit management or supervisory role, that that's still leadership. So I was lucky enough to be in environments that really supported that approach of that leadership at all levels. Um, I know that's not the case everywhere, um, for sure, and that it's it's often focused on just at the, the highest levels and trying to sort of fix and massage people who are already set in, in different leadership ways into a different way of thinking, um, which has its place. But I, I think it's much more instructive to have this um, throughout and then even to have more specific, targeted leadership development programs and interventions throughout, coaching throughout.
0: Well, just curious, what were some of the key elements that uh, these programs attempted to address?
1: Yeah, so I think it's its really um, the, the ones that I had uh, a hand in overseeing and helping out with and facilitating portions of were really um, transformational leadership Based. So a lot of um, that that kind of a leadership philosophy of how how do you as a leader help people go beyond just you know how do I transactionally get the most output and results out of them and how do I help then them develop into leaders of their own um, and I think that's that's something that that's really important um, I think the the coaching in my mind is where you see the real difference and um, growing leaders is is that you get to work on people, work with people one-on-one or in even group settings, but really one-on-one for the most part in the specific leadership challenges they're facing, the specific leadership opportunities they're facing. Um, and I've, I found that to be, um, even more effective because you can take it a little bit down from the theory and, The sort of broad group perspective and into, okay, how is this really going to be something that's going to make you a better leader, make you a better manager, something you can apply to your team, something that fits in with your own career aspirations and the impact you want to be making?
0: So folks, if you're playing along with us and you have your buzzword bingo card handy, we, we, we dropped one of those buzzwords just now, transformational leadership. That's a, that's a great moniker that has been kicked around in a lot of circles that I certainly travel in. Uh, Dan, break that down for us. What did you guys typically really consider what it meant to be truly a transformational leader?
1: Yeah. So there's there's all kinds of um, elements to transformational leadership, and there's some specific frameworks that have the the exact ones that that particular um, training references. I think in, in general, it's the idea that you're going um, away from this transactional approach to leadership, where it's, I'm going to want this from you. Can you give me that? And it's that carrot and stick kind of old school mentality. And it's going into the, you know, how do I show up as a leader um, to inspire others? How do I ensure that I'm growing them as a leader themselves? How do I make sure that we're working toward a common vision and common goals and that everyone is growing and transforming as a leader as a result of this process? So it's really that idea that it's, it's less of the supervising and managing to get a desired outcome, and it's more of how am I growing others to also be developing themselves along this journey.
0: I was taught a simple explanation of the difference between management and leadership, and I've used it ever since I first learned it a number of years ago, and and it goes like this. Management is about process, and leadership is about people and i think the management mindset is what gets you into that transactional execution you know okay what's our quota for the day what's our our budget for the month you know we we spend a lot of time and it's definitely appropriate for the success of the business to address that and and achieve those levels of success But when it comes to long-term continuity for the business, the expansion and growth of the culture that can support the brand you want to have, you've got to get into the people side of things. It's just an inevitable, undeniable requirement, and that's where the argument stands for creating leaders, not just managers.
1: It's so true. And I think especially now as we're getting into this increasingly changing and volatile world that you mentioned in the intro, that it's a lot of the sort of easy process oriented management solutions have been done to a large degree. And they're obviously still important and you still need to be efficient in achieving these results and metrics and all that. But the way to do it now is much more through leadership of people and for looking for um solutions that you don't yet already know the answer to as a boss at an organization but you're you're actually trying to get people to look toward the future, come up with their new ideas, new approaches to yet unforeseen challenges or yet unresolved challenges that leadership focus that focus on people is is just increasingly important well
0: and that's a great segue into probably what's going to be the remainder of this show, the whole idea of the people side of things. We um, are hearing, seeing, and feeling the impacts of the post-COVID environment and what it did to the mindset among workers in in the uh, employment pool. I think everybody agrees that people started showing up with a different attitude about work. And it, it, many have argued, some studies have already been done about the possibility that the COVID experience <clears throat> actually did drive this seismic shift in the way work is going to be valued by people in general and therefore they're showing up with different expectations, different standards and beliefs about performance. Their own sense of expectation and obligation has shifted. So leaders are kind of spinning right now, trying to reevaluate and create answers and programs to support the new mindset. So that's a lot said, but what are you seeing on that front?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's definitely um, true. And I think COVID was this big reset point and a tipping point for a lot of these trends that have been building for quite a while now. I tend to um, not buy into the sort of extreme hype on either side of this um the quiet quitting phenomenon that 's out there of this you know i 'm only going to work exactly as much as is required and try to do as little as possible. I think that's a recipe for disaster as an employee as someone who cares about an organization um, on the other side, I think there's this hustle and grind kind of mindset of you know the more if you can sleep overnight in the office in a sleeping bag that 's great <laughs> leadership. I think that's also way off base, and the the truth lies in the middle of. You know how do you um, both value and respect the people in your organization and how do you ensure that everyone is pulling toward common goals that make sense and have a purpose and have a value to them? I think it's that synergy and balance there of doing both, of caring about people and about purpose and mission and objectives and goals that's the key.
0: Well, immediately related to that, when we do start talking about the people, the other thing that emerges is the recognition of the diversity in the workplace, mm-hmm. uh, starting with you know the, the gender, uh, not gender. I'm sorry, generational bands that uh, you know again. Data tells us that we have more different generations represented in the workforce now than we've ever had and that puts an extra burden on managers to try to figure out how do i address the needs of each segment so let me just stop there and ask you what what are some of your observations about the dynamic that is emerging
1: yeah so i think we're at a really interesting Phase, as you've pointed out of um, the baby boomer generation is now tends to be in late career. Some are moving into retirement. Um, Gen X is now moving into the sort of senior leadership executive roles to a large degree. Um, Millennials are my generation, the generation I tend to work the most with as coaching clients. And we're now at this very interesting phase of being in that sort of high potential, mid-level rising leader. Camp. So millennials are now 27 to 42, I think, by most definitions. So it's really that, um, you know, they're already in proven leadership roles and they're in the leadership bench and pipeline for organizations. And then we have another interesting dynamic with Gen Z coming in and they're now um, entering the workforce. They're in their early 20s and they're coming in with their own um, ways of working. So I think there's all kinds of you know, different stereotypes about each of the generations that's worth knowing. And it's worth knowing about how they view generally work and how they generally view leadership. And then I think the key is to figure out how do I not let this divide my approach to leadership and management, but how do I try to partner with people in each generation, treat them as individuals with their own goals and needs and wants and desires and not stereotype across just, okay, everyone in the baby boomer generation is this or everyone in the millennial generation is this.
0: Well, I I agree with you. I I think the smartest approach that a leader can take is to not try to allow the, the definitional boundaries to create ring fences around each population and somehow think of them so radically different that you almost come to the conclusion, I can't deal with it. And, I, and I've sadly heard that occasionally. Um, it, it, it's interesting to me, as I started studying this phenomenon, I was pointed to a writing that I've actually used in keynotes where I've, I've read from the text and i'll ask the audience you know who wrote this what where did this come from and unilaterally people say that's the millennial manifesto <laughs> you know that's the statement of of the millennial mindset you know that that that's a wonderful summation of it where'd you get that that's amazing i need to have that well it was written by henry david thoreau in 1863 <laughs> and uh, i i i love discovering it and and specifically it's uh it's some text out of his uh his famous book uh, Walden Pond and um it but it points to the thinking that you know generationally generation over generation it's no different it's this has been going on for decades if not centuries where a new generation springs up they they mature and they move into positions of authority. So they assert their values and their views of the world. And everybody else kind of has to deal with it, you know. But to be a, I think, a prudent and effective leader, it's that deal with it part that's important. And rather than look at it as something negative look at it as a positive and ask yourself what can I learn from this guy or this lady uh, you know what, what can what value are they bringing to my organization and let's let's circle together and you know row in the same direction
1: I, I love that story. it's funny, I'm actually in the Boston area, so we're not terribly far from Wells and Ponds. And um it's so true. It's there there's these are some timeless um issues at, at play here. And I think it it is exactly that. It's it's how do we be on the same team, be part of the same organization, be working toward the same goals and embrace the various strengths that each person and, you know, each generation, I guess, at the broader sense brings to this, but it's, it's less of that. How can I complain about X group and how can I really embrace what they're, what they're saying and incorporate it into my worldview? So as a
0: coach, we, we often think in terms of trying to help our clients achieve so-called aha moments, Uh, Dan, can, can you share a a couple of, uh, stories of, of some aha moment that maybe you've led people through?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. So, um, there's a few, few of my clients have been very public about their, uh, their journeys with it. So I'll focus on, um, those ones. But so one example would be someone who was a, you know, a vice president at an organization wanted to. Um, you know, stay in that organization, grow as an executive there. Um, came in basically, how do I succeed in this this vice president role? And through our work together, he realized that actually, you know what, I I'm not wanting to be with this organization. I want to be um, on my own. I want to do this bigger and better entrepreneurial venture. And it's been really great to walk through that journey with him as he realized that, and then he's actually successfully launched this um, entrepreneurial venture now, which is, which is very exciting. Um, another one is, um, has been working with someone who was, a I think an intern, um, or just after an intern when I started with her. So a very early career person and she's grown and is now a, a manager and she has people reporting to her and she's doing all this, this wonderful, great work. So she's like staying in an organization and succeeding in it. And then I've had other people who have been come in looking to leave, um, looking to go elsewhere, going in like very much in a career coaching mindset, and I do both leadership and career, but this was very much like okay i 'm looking to go and go elsewhere and um through looking at what they wanted to accomplish and the impact they wanted to make there is they could do it within their current organization, and they actually got a promotion through it and have been able to implement it a lot there so it's it really is this you said aha moments i I tend to go on the the yeah looking toward like insight of how am I viewing the world. What is my mindset? What do I really want? And how can I um, get there and achieve that? And coaching is such a great modality for that. Yeah,
0: I, I agree. And, and the whole career progression, I think, is an interesting space. And it's something arguably everybody that's in the work world has some sensitivity to. M- most people agree that They don't want to take a job and that that becomes their final resting place Uh, they they want to search for opportunity and advancement and growth and those are a lot of the values that are coming to the front now so you kind of inevitably when you are working with various professionals in their situation if even if it is focused on leadership development you inevitably get to that career change opportunity somewhere along the way i tell an aha moment with with uh, a client i had a number of years ago he was a pretty successful middle manager in a company and there was an opening at the vice president level at his firm and uh, he he had been uh, encouraged to file for it, apply for it, even though he was arguably the youngest candidate that would have been doing so. <clears throat> but we, we worked together and came up with a strategy. I, I told him about the idea of developing a 100-day plan, projecting the assumption that he's in the role, what's he gonna do the first 100 days and take that information with him to the interview process, which he did. He worked really hard putting the plan together. He knew enough about the company and the department and the role that he would fill that he could speak to it intelligently. And the interview process included sitting down with the COO, and this is a publicly traded company, so it's a pretty, pretty high level screening process. As he was talking to the COO, he presented his 100-day plan, and and he had charts and graphs and a roadmap and everything. And the COO said, oh, my God, pick all that up. Come with me. And they went next door to the CEO's office. <laughs> <laughs> and the CEO, COO said to the CEO, he said, look at this. We found our guy. He's got all the stuff you and I have been talking about. Amazing. And, and they laid everything <laughs> out. And, you know, within a matter of days, he was the newly elected VP of this company. And uh, he, he, you know, came back to me and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. I I don't think I would have been able to tell that story if I hadn't done the prep work and the thought process to put all that together. So it um, and talk about a, a career enhancing opportunity, a little Forward thinking and preparation was the very tool that he needed to push it over the goal line and and definitely differentiate himself from the competition.
1: It's a it's a great story and yeah, such a testament to how coaching can work in that space. I think it is really about that giving strategic thought to what you're thinking of doing and approaching it in in that way. And I mean, so much of our culture and society is just either, you know, more, 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 more is always good. I want to do the most I can possibly do, take on every single leadership opportunity that comes up and that's going to be the way to success and happiness. And that might not be the case for everyone. It might be the case for a particular person or it's that, you know, I'm going to try to do as little as possible. And it's, I think it's, um, really figuring out like, what do you want to do and how can we best position you to get there? And that's just so powerful with coaching.
0: Well, and I, I I think underpinning all of that is a principle that a guest on on my show earlier this year reminded me about. Is the idea when you show up either as a leader or an employee, there is there's a basic contract that exists, and in fundamental contract terms. Both parties need to come to the table with expectations, which is usually what everybody talks about, and it's, that's always top of mind. But they also need to bring their sense of obligation. And the expectation part is, you know, if you're the employee, I want a, I want a fair pay, I want a chance of advancement, I want training, I want mm-hmm. growth. I want opportunities, so on and so on and so on. And that's where everybody kind of stops the discussion. And then the employer is sitting there going, well, I have expectations too. You know, you need to be on time, you need to do this, da, 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 da. and that's where the whole friction kicks in. But in the traditional way of doing it like that, nobody has laid out obligations, you know okay, you want all of that as the employee. Well, I'm curious, what do you think you're going to bring to the table? <laughs> Let's go back to contract law, mm-hmm. basic contract law. What are you bringing to the table? You know, And then the employee might be inclined to say, fair question, I will show up on time, I will produce my work, I will go to training, I will pay attention, I will follow procedures, so on and so on and so on. Now, all of a sudden, you've you've got almost the perfect inverse connection where the employer's expectations fit the employee's obligations and vice versa. You know, the employer's obligations can look like, I will give you fair pay, you will have opportunity for advancement, you'll get promoted, you you can and will grow in your career, so on and so on. And now all of a sudden you've got a, a good arrangement <clears throat> that is a win-win for both parties, everybody's happy, now go get the work done.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's the sweet spot there is when those can meet and align, and I think it's so much more of a a two way street than it ever has been now, and people are much less likely to rely on, you know, this big mega company to be their employer for 45 years and then retire with the gold watch and everything now, um, and I think that's that's obviously true that you can't you can't be putting all your eggs in one basket and expecting a company to automatically take care of you um but alternatively i think there's um that value exchange and when it is right there are some really great opportunities with companies and that's how you can keep people and engage them for the long term so yeah getting that getting that um alignment there is key
0: well and if you think about it if you have that healthy discussion up front and you in effect negotiate a little bit for understanding and alignment Then once the work begins, the idea of needing to have accountability and responsibility for both sides of what's going on, those discussions become much easier to have because it's easy for the employer to go to the employee and say, Remember what we talked about right at the start there I'm seeing a gap here I'm mm-hmm. I'm seeing a, a, a an opportunity for more and you know let's talk about that and therefore it's not when those discussions happen and, and they're inevitable they will happen it it's not so random and seemingly out of the clear blue and you know somebody is not getting surprised by the need to have that Accountability talk.
1: <laughs> I, I think that's I think that's right, and being genuine from each side I think is really critical in that. Of um, you know, there's there's so much dishonesty and unfair dealing I think coming from both employers and employees a lot of the time, and just being able to have that really honest, upfront conversation, like you've mentioned, is is key to having a successful working relationship when you're both understanding both what the other person wants out of it, but also what they can contribute to it and um, being able to hold each other accountable. I think you're spot on in all this.
0: Well, let me shift gears just a little bit and, yeah. and let me ask you this, <clears throat> in respect to the, the clients you work with and the companies you serve, uh, what uh, what is the dialogue about trust? You know, trust is another one of those magic words that, if you're playing your uh, buzzword bingo, we've that that's become a popular (laughs) theme to talk about. And and I don't want to make light of it. I I wrote a whole book about it, so I'm I'm a big fan, and I'm I'm very committed to helping leaders understand building trust. But let me ask you, Dan, what what are you running into with discussions about how to create that? psychological safety trust kind of environment
1: yeah i think again i think you're just right on with with this and i think psychological safety is is so crucial of and both sides of psychological safety i think people forget what what it really means a lot of the time and it's that you know the environment of feeling like you can speak out without retribution and you can share your ideas um but also that that challenging element to it where you're able to actually um you know, say say something that is challenging and receive challenging feedback as well. Um, in my mind, it really comes down to um, knowing when you're working with people who are square dealers, when you're working with people who are genuine um, and expecting the best, but not being blindsided by either a leader or an organization or an employee who is not actually going to follow through on, on their end of that. So a lot of what I'll work with, with clients is, you know, um, how can you grow in your current role and how can you, um, you know, seek that next promotion and grow in this organization. A lot of times it will come out that, you know, something is happening, something is shaken in the organization. And if they haven't already done all of that work to prepare their networks and prepare to look elsewhere for, for roles that they can really get pigeonholed and blindsided into something. So I think it's that um, basically being part of a common cause for as long as it makes sense and as long as both sides are contributing, getting something out of it, but being prepared to walk away if it's going in a different direction and you don't feel that it's resolvable or have those difficult conversations um, from both the employer employer side is, is key there. So it's a, it's a two-way street on trust
0: well i agree and i think as the business world navigates the current state of uncertainty both from economic pressures and and global pressures that are emerging right now and as as we're having this discussion and it'll be a few more weeks before we go live there there's still some untold developments in in the economic front a lot of the leaders I'm working with today share the burden of if, if they're kind of in the middle of the organization, middle to upper parts of the organization, mm-hmm. <clears throat> there are strategic discussions happening about perhaps downsizing, repositioning. Um, even maybe spinning off departments and units, and th- those are all understandable business decisions. But then they have to turn around and they have to go talk to their teams, and their teams are hearing the jungle drums banging about, you know, possibilities, and the the rumor mill is active. So the leader is kind of caught in the middle. It's like, there are things I'm talking about that I'm not ready to tell you yet. And Mm -hmm. I I don't want to be insincere or disingenuous, but there's some stuff you just don't need to know right now. Because the truth is, we don't know where that's really going to go. Yes, we're having a discussion, but no, we haven't reached a decision. When the time comes, the decision may be 180 degrees opposite of what... All the dominoes would suggest, so there's no point in getting spun up and frustrated about tomorrow It's just reality of modern business, so it's a um it is a conundrum that uh current leaders are carrying the burden of right now, and again, I don't want to make light of of you know who's responsible for what, but it is a um, it is a reality and good, well-meaning leaders are very sensitive to not liking being put in that situation, but they know it comes with the territory and they're dealing with it accordingly.
1: Yeah, it's it's a perennial issue with, um, I think there's a sort of naive view that good leadership now is just being fully transparent about every single decision. And a lot of the burden of leadership is, is in carrying that, as in exactly like you said, not um, sharing every single development when it's not an appropriate time. And it's a lot of that making hard decisions that are for the, the benefit of the organization. I think it's doing that in a way that's not flippant, in a way that makes people feel valued and like they're being treated fairly and honestly. And I think as long as you can do that as a leader, it's really hard to do, obviously, and it's something that you have to carry. But um, I think that's all you can expect as a, as a leader. I, I do think that there's also a, a burden on leaders to not just automatically do the easy thing to you know, juice the bottom line or pad their own pockets or whatever that is, too, of looking at people as more than lines on a spreadsheet. And as soon as there's a dollar to be made by cutting this person, we're going to do a layoff. Um, so I think there's, there's also that element of it. And from the employee side too, there's, you know, do you trust that your organization is really caring about you as an employee at the same time as they're trying to meet their business objectives? And, um, it's all, it's all a matter of, really feeling comfortable that everyone is doing their best to balance all of these competing perspectives and if something is way out of whack on any line of of making sure that you have alternatives too
0: well and maybe along that line one last question dan it, back to the generational migration of things as the boomers roll out and retire or liquidate and the Xers, maybe even themselves, start to slowly make their own transitions. Do you do you have a sense of what the real prevailing theme is? What do the millennials want to see changed right now?
1: Yeah, so there I think there's a lot. Um, I think it's coming at a good time where some of these previous generations have actually set up a lot of this shift away from this old school industrial era kind of leadership, the management that we talked about before being the prevailing theme to, as we move into this increasingly volatile world with a lot of change, there's a lot of opportunity too, to do new things, to innovate, to create. Um, For millennials, if I had to pick one unifying theme, they're very purpose-driven. So I think there's a purpose drive across generations. There's Dan Pink's book on, you know, mastery, autonomy, and purpose being drivers for humans in general. Um, I think for millennials, that that purpose drive is is really there. So, for current executives looking for how to really engage and partner with and develop millennials, the more that your organization can be genuinely serving a higher purpose, even if it is in a traditional business, but doing something that goes beyond making widgets and trying to just maximize the output and the profits from those, but doing something that has a broader societal good or a broader purpose to it um, is a great way to really attract and engage the millennials.
0: I love it. Well, thank you, Dan. If folks want to know more about you and your work, uh, your book, and everything, what's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Doug. So, my coaching practice is called Contempus Leadership. So, if they go to contempusleadership.com, um, they can learn more about working with me in that capacity. And then the book is called The Career Design Map. So, that's available at Amazon, it's available through order at bookstores, and they can go to career design map. Dot com or even careerdesignquiz.com. There's a free quiz that goes along with it too.
0: Great, great. Well, Dan, one last time, thank you for sitting in. I think this has been a, a, a great one and I really appreciate your insight and your commentary on these things.
1: Thanks again. I really enjoyed the discussion, Doug. All right, man. Well, folks, with
0: that, we're going to bring this to a close. As always, I want to remind you, we do have a video version of this over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, give us a comment, feedback, like. Thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever. Would love to hear from you. And I do want to ask if you or someone you know might be a good guest for the show, just drop me a line at dougthorpe.com. Let me know uh, your suggestions and ideas. Would love to hear from you. For now, we're going to sign off. Go out there and make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.